Section 14 of Best Dog Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 14 Smoke by John A. Moroso. Jimmy Kelly's little girl Ellen come in with his dinner about twelve o'clock. As soon as Jimmy takes the eats from her hands and kisses her, she runs over to me and begins to say nice things, so I kissed her on the nose. Leave him alone, Jimmy yells to the kid. He's in bad. She pulled back from me, and I beat it to Mammy's stall and got comfortable between Mammy's hind legs. I knew she wouldn't budge as long as I was there, so I moved up after a little while to her front legs. She reached down and nosed me and told me things would be all right after a bit. There's lots of fine human beings, but there ain't any born yet that is as good a friend to a fire dog as a fire horse is. I tucked down close to Mammy's left hoof and listened. What's the matter with smoke? I heard Ellen ask her daddy. Violating the rules and regulations again, he said. I had to beat him this morning and I'll beat him every time he does it. Ellen looked like she was going to cry, but her old man didn't notice it, as he was swallowing a can of hot soup. It smelled good. I brought him two bones, Pop, says Ellen, after watching her old man get around the eats. That's all right, says Jimmy. Leave them with me. Ellen began to whimper, and so I whimpered and Mammy got uneasy and kicked the side of the stall in awful wallop. It looked like we was all in bed. The only thing we had to be thankful for was the weather. The engine house doors were wide open, and a nice cool breeze swept through the stalls. Bing! The chain in front of Mammy dropped. The gong was sounding our call on a third alarm, and the men came shooting down the brass pole like lightning one on top of the other. Jimmy grabbed Ellen and tossed her in a corner as he dropped his eats. Mammy was under the harness, in the center, in one half second, her collar snapped tight, and she ready to make the big lunge that would start us all off. Prince, just as white as she was, and Togo, looking like a snow horse, flanked her and began slapping the floor with their iron shoes to get the right feel of it for the start. Number 64 is the heaviest steamer in the department, and there ain't anything in New York can touch our team. Prince on the left, Mammy in the middle, and Togo on the right. The second alarm had sounded twenty minutes before, and when the third came to call us out, we knew that there was some fire to fight, and that it had the goats of the companies already on the job. The fire was down in the oil and paint section below the old Brooklyn Bridge. If it was a paint house, that meant sore eyes for everybody, firemen, horses, cops, and dogs. Paint smoke cuts like a knife, and the more water you pour on bursting barrels and cans, the more they smoke. Jimmy's kid was safe in the corner, and stood there without fidgeting. There ain't any fireman's little girl afraid of the noise and the rush when we make the start. Jimmy was up in the driver's seat with the reins in his hands and leaning over Mammy's big white back. I ran out and cleared the way for the steamer. I whooped it up as loud as I could, 
and started the Fulton Street peddlers running for cover. I nipped one of the slow ones on the heel, and he hollered. All the truck drivers heard me and pulled into the curbs, and that part of my job was done, and done right. All my people were in the fire department, and my grandmother Blaze had a reputation when she passed in, believe me. Her picture hangs on the wall in the commissioner's office at headquarters. We had a downgrade on Fulton Street to William, and our team was good and fresh. We made some fast time and turned north on William. I was keeping close to Mammy's nose all along the first stretch, but I knew what a mean street William was. The cross streets are so narrow and close together that any minute a truck might roll out in front of us. So I spread myself and took a half-block lead on number 64. At Beekman Street, I got the sting of the paint smoke and saw that the blaze was down near Pearl. I turned east, whooping it up for fair and sending all the people and vehicles out of the middle of the road. Jimmy brought the steamer around the sharp corner with a rush and without touching the standpipe or the curb. There ain't a man in the uniform can touch Jimmy for handling a team and steamer as big as ours. He keeps a whip in the socket, but only because the regulations say keep one. If the regulations told him to drive with one eye shut, he would shut one eye. That's Jimmy. He's got red hair and he sticks to the regulations. I saw him twist his mouth down in the corner, and I knew he was jollying Mammy about being slow. The old girl spread out a little. Prince was slow, and she turned her pink nose around as she pulled away and snapped him on the jaw. The old man come to life and began to work harder. Togo never thinks of anything but getting to a fire, and Mammy had no kick on his work. Number 64 was coming down the Beekman Street grade to Pearl faster than any steamer ever went over a street in this big town of New York, and so I lit out to increase my distance, knowing there would be danger. The big engine belched and screamed as she come along, and the bell of the hose wagon behind her kept banging away, but it all didn't count for much. The elevated trains over Pearl Street and the big grind of the bridge trains above them would drown any kind of noise. The breeze was blowing from the river, and the smoke got thicker as we ran along. I could see Jimmy's eyes watching me over Mammy's white ears as they went up and down, for he depended on me to keep the way clear for him. I wheeled every two bounds to make sure that things were right in both directions. Suddenly, Jimmy stood up and began sawing on the reins. I turned a half-somersault to rubber for the trouble, and holy Cerberus, if there wasn't a kid no bigger than myself, toddling out in the street. The baby was about five feet from the curb and just getting underway to cross the street. About four more steps and it would have been right in line for death. Everybody on the sidewalks was watching the big engine come down the grade, and the little one was so small that nobody noticed it. There was only one thing to do. I jumped for that kid and hit it right in the breast with all my might. It let out a yell and fell back to the curb. Number 64 had plenty of room, and I saw Jimmy settle back slowly in his seat and lean over Mammy's back again with a grin on his face. We pulled up in one of the short streets down in the swamp sections, 
and of all the smells i ever got this one was the limit a big wholesale paint house was one sheet of flame and the fire had spread to a hide and leather warehouse next door when you mix the smell of burning oil and paint with burning hide and hair and have to rush right into it and stay in it until the chief orders a retreat just put it down as coming from old smoke that whether you're a man a horse or a dog you know that you're earning your keep jimmy was off his seat in one jump and loosening the bits of the horses he stopped long enough to give me a slap on the shoulder for getting that kid out of his way and i felt mighty good what's a beating between old friends anyhow but there wasn't any time for talking or tail-wagging the sparks were falling through the smoke and smell and jimmy covered the team up to the eyes croker was right there on the job and he was the maddest chief that ever tackled a fire there was only one thing that ever got him to cussing out real loud and that was when a fire got beyond four walls in the downtown section there wasn't any use wasting time on the paint fire there was nothing left there but burning oil white-hot iron and red-hot walls the fire in the hide and hair layout was on the sixth floor right under the roof it had eaten in through the caves and had a good hold on the roof timbers and the stuff piled up close to them the men were dropping like flies from the smoke it cut holes in their lungs and made their eyes hang down on their black faces there were ambulances from gouverneur st vincent and hudson street hospitals the doctors would cart off our crowd and cool him off and find places for them where they could breathe right nelly and she's a daisy the mascot of number seventy engine came wagging over to me and told me that croker was working all hands on account of the crews being crippled by smoke her driver mike tiernan and jimmy kelly she said would all be up in the hide and hair building in about three seconds the cops would look out for the horses i was telling nelly that she was some mascot when i heard croker yell through his megaphone and saw the battalion chiefs beginning to get their men together i asked her if she was going to follow mike and she said she was going to follow him if she got the chance but that the men had been kicking her around for a half hour and she knew she was going to get a beating when they got back to the house she asked me what i was going to do well i told her i'm just going to go as far as the regulations let me i got a beating this morning myself in my company they let the mascot go as far as the floor beneath the fighting line i've been in this business all my life and my grandmother blaze has her picture hanging in the commissioner's office jimmy gives me an awful beating every time i break the rules but there is no telling what will happen in a fire like this one i'll keep after jimmy and stay on the floor below him if nothing happens but if anything happens the regulations won't stand a chance just then jimmy turned his helmet and beat it into the hide and hair layout say maybe sixty-four company aren't smoke eaters they just live on it i've seen sixty-four get away with gases in a big drug house blaze right in their block that would kill mammy to sniff and mammy has lungs and then some more lungs i waited until the hose lines were stretched in the hide and hair building and then sneaked in and followed them 
I knew that there would be nozzles at the other end, and that my Jimmy would be right there with a big piece of brass in his hands. He ain't afraid of anything except a trial before the commissioner for violating rules and regulations. He is a fireman, and he's had medals pinned on him by the mayor. I seen them in his flat on Rose Street. I got up to the fifth floor and remembered the beating I got in the morning, so I stopped there. Jimmy and the crew was up on the sixth, and there was some smoke. It cut at your throat like the sharp teeth of a young bull terrier. I had to stay there and eat it, and I had lots of time to think over things, for the bunch upstairs would never retreat until they got the word from the foreman, and the foreman never slips it to them until a battalion chief or croaker himself shouts it. I was thinking over things when along comes a white patch to the head of the stairs. Never mind how black it is. You can tell a fire chief. He wears a white helmet and white rubbers, coat and all. It was Croker. He was feeling the hose with his feet and going up to the fighting line. I beat it over to one side, and he passed me without knowing that I was there. I felt a little easier about Jimmy. When Croker was chief and was around at a fire, there wasn't a man, horse, or dog that didn't feel better for seeing him. He used to swear something awful and chew cigars and spit around enough to put out a one alarm. But he was one firefighter. He went up to the top and the smell of hide and hair got worse. I was strangling and so hunted around for a hose coupling that leaked. I got one and found the puddle and stuck my nose in it and kept it there. That's one of the first things a department mascot gets next to. You can take any Dalmatian that's born in the business and lock him in a gas chamber with a bucket of water, and he'll come out alive as long as the water has any air in it. I could hear the men upstairs scrambling around, and the axe crew began to make some noise. But there wasn't anything about that to worry me, and I fell to thinking over things again. The regulations always keep me guessing. Now this one about a dog staying on the floor below the fireman might mean all right for mutts, but it don't do any good with a dog that was born in an engine house. The idea of that rule is that when the time comes for a retreat, a fireman might stumble over the mascot and not be able to get up and make the getaway. Nobody ever stumbled over me, or over my mother, or my father, and my grandmother Blaze, but I told you about her picture up at headquarters. Before Blaze croaked from old age, she told me a lot of things. She said that if the smoke was so thick she couldn't see, and if it was a hide or paint fire, and she couldn't get the scent of her driver, she could feel just where he was. She told me that if I got to love the people around me, I could sense things and know just where they were and what was happening to them, even if they were miles away. She was right. I was thinking about the old lady when something told me things weren't right up above. I knew that the crew was losing out in the fight, and I was certain of it when three men come staggering down with axes and began to smash at the windows. They knocked them out in a jiffy, and the smoke come rushing by like a cloud, but some air come in, and I took my nose out of the puddle. There was a little light, too. I saw Mike Tiernan, Nellie's boss, 
stick his head out of a window and signal then he leaned far over and put a hand to his ear i knew what that meant he was getting the order to beat it i felt the floor under me getting warm the fire had mushroomed down from the caves had chewed up the laths back of the plastering and was eating away at the beams under the fifth floor tiernan turned and rushed upstairs yelling the order to retreat i began to feel uneasy i seen croker many a time jump just a second before a roof dropped after getting all the men away but i seen jimmy kelly stick on a fire job so long that i begun to hate him the men come jumping down all coughing and choking croker was staggering like he had begun a hard souse jimmy was the last to come down and as he come i heard a crash the base pins of the stairs under the floor had burned out there was a sprinkle of warm water and i knew that the fire had reached the hose the men had just dropped the top of a ladder poked over the window sill and the men some of them on all fours like dogs went for it and crawled over to the outside i wagged over to jimmy and brushed against his leg to remind him that i had stuck to regulations the smoke was thicker with the fall of the stairs and it was getting hotter the patch of light where the window was went out the smoke was so thick jimmy dropped to his knees and began to feel his way with his hands the fire in the beams under our floor began to work through and every now and then i would get singed jimmy was coughing awful hard and i heard him say mother in heaven mother in heaven the regulations required me to go down to the fourth floor when the fighting line retreated to the fifth but regulations is meant for nice quiet times my pal was up against it on the fifth floor and i guess i know my place i'll take my beating nelly is going to get hers tonight and there is some consolation in that i felt jimmy's hand touch my back he was trying to follow me a big red gout came out of the floor and i see the window again the top of the ladder begun to move back they must have thought that jimmy was safe below i left my pal and bounced to the window and believe me i whooped it up louder than i ever did while on the run to a fire the bunch on the street heard me and skinny devers our foreman recognized my voice i saw him begin to dance around and then the top of the ladder fell back in place skinny came up like a squirrel and five men took their places on the rungs below him when skinny reached the sill he tried to grab me but i ducked and began barking at him he swiped at me again but i pulled back and barked some more then another sheet of flame come out of the floor and i ran to jimmy the foreman bounced in the window when he saw my boss and pulled him to the ladder in three yanks the floor began to sag something was giving away i got my nose to the air as skinny passed jimmy down and it was good air i guess i heard the chief shouting up for skinny to hustle but skinny knew his business and he wasn't going to run any chance of dropping my boss five floors to the sidewalk he was that sure and easy in every grip that it's up to me never to forget that man the floor sagged again and i crawled to the window sill skinny was following my boss as the men passed him along and he was down to the third floor 
all i could do was to wag my tail on the hot window-sill hoping he would hear it and know i was thanking him suddenly skinny turned and began to climb up the ladder again i heard croker shout to him to come back and according to regulations it was up to him to retreat even if his own brother was in the building but he didn't mind the regulations he come up to the top rung and pulled me off the window-sill and down we went together me holding to his shoulder like little ellen used to hang on to my pal's shoulder when she was a baby and her mother used to bring her around to the engine-house of an afternoon End of section 14